Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit. Bullshit is rampant. Total fucking bullshit. B -b -b bullshit. This makes no fucking sense. I mean, it's just bullshit. Fuck. Bullshit is bullshit. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Welcome back to the Bullshit Filter, back from the dead for one more episode. Um, how are you, Bubble Boy? Doing good. How are you? Ah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, now, this is uh, just a kind of a standalone episode. As you know, we finished our War on Drugs series last week, um, and we're probably finishing the Bullshit Filter as a series all up because we've got to think of something else to do, yeah. replace it with something else. But um, just as a bit of a follow-up to our old gun control series we did we we've got a guest on today um dick cheney has has made time to come on and talk about guns right <laughs> actually it's dick cheney's son um he's an illegitimate son so he uses a different name uh mac christian i love having christians on the show mac christian welcome to welcome to the show mac Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I should, I, I got to bust out some kind of a uh, Dick Cheney voice. Like, Hey, you sound like your dad. You've got the same. Got, yeah. I don't know. Well, you've got the get off my Lord, you kids. <laughs> you've got the same um, talent for accents and impersonations as I do. Congratulations. Um, now, Mac, uh, so the story of why Mac's on. Now, Mac, uh, back when we were doing the gun control series um, fucking, I don't know, a year ago, uh, you you were emailing me, Mac, going, hey, listen, I actually work in the gun industry, and, man, if I ever leave this, I could tell you some fucking stories. And then about a month ago, you said, hey, I, I've left. I can tell you those stories now. And I said, yeah, great, come on. Now, tell us a little bit about yourself, Mac. Uh, how old are you? Where do you live? Let's start with that. Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm 37 years old. I live in uh, Boise, Idaho. Um, I, it's you know one of the more I would say one of the more gun friendly uh, states in the U.S. Um, I my background I I graduated college in graphic design and have since moved over to to director roles, marketing roles, and and now work as uh, vice president of sales for a design group here in Boise. Isn't uh Fucking David Lynch from Boise. David Lynch. You know is, yeah, is there I a plaque there I'm for David Lynch? On that topic. <laughs> I'm just reading David Lynch's autobiography at the moment, and I'm pretty sure he was uh, no born in Missoula, Montana. I can't. I said that. It's close. It's a few hour drive. Yeah. There's some, something. Oh, hold on. Uh, the family then moved to Durham, North Carolina, where Ray and I were hanging out in January of this year. Then Boise, Idaho. Then Alexandra, Virginia. Wow. So close to you. And then they were in Spokane and Washington. He moved everywhere, young. So there you go. He talks about Boise a lot in uh, in the uh, in the book. Anyway, what's Boise like? Tell me about Boise. Yeah. Boise. So <laughs> 
Oh, you're going to go back to Caesar's? Yeah, boys! <laughs> do you walk around and say, does that happen what people say? They're they like, where do you live? I live in, yeah, boys! You know, I, we we tend to be a little outdated. I don't know if people are throwing out the Flavor Flav quotes currently. <laughs> That's, but... What the fuck are you talking about, outdated? It's like timeless. I wouldn't. There is no outdated Flavor Flav. There's a lot of things I would call timeless before I think I put Flavor Flav on it, but I think you brought it back. I think it's uh single handed. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're I think you're close, man. Yeah. Um yeah, so Boise is it's uh it's a started out as a college town and it's become kind of the tech hub of Idaho. Um it, and it's become you know, like Hewlett Packard has uh, an office here, Micron um is another company that's here that that brings about a, a kind of a, a tech atmosphere. Um then outside of and Boise is kind of this hub, it's this city. And everywhere outside of Boise, it just gets rural really fast. And the rest of the state is kind of like small town, um, you know, a lot of blue collar jobs. Um, Southern Idaho, there's a couple of decent sized towns. Um, like the town I grew up in was a logging town. You know, it, it's it's all kind of little little areas like that. You didn't grow up in Boise? No, no, I grew up uh, north of Boise. Um, it's in a town of 400 people called New Meadows. Wow. And it's in the middle of nowhere. And uh, yeah, yeah. So I grew up there and then moved to Boise later. Famous people from Boise include uh, Frank Church, the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, the guy who ran the church committee that exposed all of the CIA's uh, crimes right. in the mid-70s that we just talked about with relation to our to George Bush. Yeah, we have a gigantic wilderness area named after him where nice. it's roadless, no access, all extreme terrain. Yeah. Mm. That's where all the bodies are buried from the CIA's assassination. Exactly where all the bodies are buried. Yeah. There's, there's usually a couple of bear attacks every year in the Frank Church. Oh, my God. A lot of CIA people come out of Boise. James Jesus Angleton, who was the chief of CIA counterintelligence from 1954 to 1975 wow. when Frank Church – Exposed all of his crimes. Ooh, uh, he's from he's from Boise. That's yeah. Awkward. That's awkward. Yeah. Um, who else? Uh, David Lynch spent a lot of his time. Maureen O'Hara. I do declare, <laughs> I've always relied on the kindness of strangers. That's a hot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> When I do that voice, you like that voice? Yeah. You yeah. like it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know where I'm going with all that. Uh, so, so uh, you're, you're, you're uh, late 30s, you live in Boise, um, you grew up in a little little town north of Boise, a lot of guns when you were growing up in the country? Uh, yeah, yeah, just a couple. <laughs> so guns have been part of your life uh, from a very early age. Yes, sir. Yeah, you can say that. Yeah, I, I think I, I text or sent you guys notes. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been. My dad had me at elk camp before I could walk. What's elk camp? Oh, okay. So yeah, I guess that's a, a regional thing, or it could use some explaining. So, um, so elk is an animal that we hunt a lot. Um, they they tend to go to nasty high mountain areas. It's a it's it's a, a type of hunting that's kind of not for the the faint of heart. Um, it's a it's pretty extreme. Um, it's an animal that's like you know the size of a bus that can disappear like a ghost, <laughs> and wow. so uh, they, they 
they're hard to hunt. And so usually in order to be on top of them and to put up the kind of miles that you need to, to find them, they end up setting up a camp. And usually it's kind of a tradition, like a group of guys will get together and form camp and families will go up and stay in the woods and the guys go out hunting during the day. Yeah. You could and you were doing that as a kid. Yeah. 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 I would do like, <laughs> I think I, I was, I think my mom went before I was born, you know, like in her belly. So I, I guess I was out there before I was born. <laughs> and and, and, and I, I remember growing up and going out to elk camp. And now my friends and I go up and, and establish a camp and, and go out hunting and everything too. Right. And so so guns, hunting, been a big part of your life. Still today, you're, uh, you're a gun owner, I believe. Yes. Yeah. I owe, I, I own 14 firearms. I, I had to go through and count them actually the other day. There was a, <laughs> oh, there's an outdoor, there's an outdoor writer, Patrick McManus. And, uh, he said the problem with having, a, a one firearm or, or more than one is that they, they tend to breed in your, uh, in your safe. So they just, it's not, I, I don't know how I've acquired them. I just have over the years. <laughs> What what's the breakdown of those? Like, are they all hunting rifles or handguns, AR-15s? What have you got? Yeah, yeah. I, I only carry uh, strictly landmines, bazookas. Um, that's <laughs> it's the most it's the most efficient way to hunt, really. I mean, good for you. It's <laughs> yeah. So I I'm pragmatic. I like to joke that I don't have anything less than a hundred years old. Um, so I have, it's mostly hunting rifles, shotguns. Um, I do own one AR-15, um, a few handguns. I don't really use many of them all that much, except for the, the hunting rifles and the, the shotguns and stuff. Mm-hmm. And where do you fall on the political spectrum? I know I've always, my entire life I've been a Democrat, but I feel like the rails have come off in the last year or so. I've been joking that I'm going to form my own political movement and just call it the radical centrists, you know, put a tagline on it, like logic, stupid. I like that. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I, I don't really fall anywhere on the political spectrum. I'm definitely not right. And I'm definitely not way left. So just whatever works. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. I, I'll vote for whoever does the job right. I was saying, I was having a, I think, a Facebook messenger conversation with one of our listeners just a couple of days ago, and he was asking, or an email, or somebody, somebody was asking me about where I sit in the political spectrum, and I said the same sort of thing. I don't consider myself sitting anywhere in particular. I don't, I don't align myself with any particular view. I just try and take every issue on its merits and figure out what I think is the best path forward. Uh, that's how I determine my position on things. It's not based on any sort of partisan loyalty or, or loyalty to any particular philosophy. I think that's a good way to be. It's kind of hard to do nowadays when it's like, you know, your, your political stance revolves around how loud you can scream, you know? Good point. <laughs> yeah. Well, it shouldn't, no. But no, it should be based around intelligent uh, analysis and consideration of the issues. No. I know that's, that's, that's hard for you, Ray, but yeah. Um, yeah. It's hard it for can't Americans. be distilled down to a bullet point. Um, so, okay, Democrat uh, for most of your life, but a lot of firearms. Now, you worked in the firearms industry for a couple of years. Tell us about that. Where, what were you doing? Yeah, so, um, it, oh, man, this one's funny, actually. So I I always wanted to work in the conservation 
kind of realm. I, I really wanted to, you know, help protect wildlands and, you know, the stuff that I enjoy, the things that I like, you know, the things that I like to participate in, the things that I love, the things that I want to pass on to my kids. And I ended up landing a job with like my dream job with a conservation group. And I got in and it was just terrible. Uh, it was like, I, I guess there was some politics with me getting hired or something. Like I, I lasted like three months. I, I was told to like learn the culture for three months, which revolved around me, like checking my email and looking at news articles and stuff. And, and then I was <laughs> let go without ever having worked in the industry. Um, and it was just, it was an awful experience into where I made the joke to my wife, like, God, like all I want to do is just go full circle and work in the firearms industry or something after that experience. And then I got a job in the firearm industry. It's like, it was one of those, like thrown out a ton of application. I don't remember even necessarily applying to a firearm specific job. And I got an interview and got the job. And before I knew it, like I'm in this whole different world. And, uh, and it is. It was. It was I, I worked for um, an online-based school. They taught um, like remote gunsmithing, uh, remote troubleshooting skills with firearms, um, and and you know mostly most of the employees, almost all of the students were from a military background, and it was just from from where I was, you know, having come from an extremely left-leaning group to this was <laughs> it was a different world for sure. So you were, uh, but you, I just want to make sure sorry, I understand. Right? So, yeah. you, so you were troubleshooting people who had issues, physical issues with their guns. I'm just trying to, I want to make sure. No, I understand. Actually, it, it was a, it was a school for people to acquire the skills, to be able to work on firearms, ah. build up pieces from firearms. Uh, uh, and then when I say troubleshooting, like they can take a firearm and it's not working properly and then troubleshoot the action on it or whatever's going wrong with it. Okay. All right. So I, I worked there um, in a marketing capacity. So I was kind of like the external voice, the external communications for the school. So I was interacting with the students. Um, we had there was a lot of sponsored kind of uh, honestly firearm celebrities that we worked with um, that endorsed the school. Uh, and so we would go to events and you know travel all around the country to firearms events. Went to the 2018 NRA show, which was <laughs> at that time, man, that was uh, it was. It was after Las Vegas being and all right. huge events happened, and then we ended up at the NRA show. So it was kind of like it being in the. It was really firestorm time to be involved in the firearms industry. And uh, I think you said in your notes that uh, that you've had some firearm related tragedy in your own family. Somebody died. No, <laughs> there's a typo. Someone died. Uh, <laughs> my my brother-in-law was uh he was shot by his best friend on it was an accidental shooting it was one it wasn't where, dick cheney was it come on you can tell us his best Dude, friend was dick cheney joke now that i think about it yeah yeah <laughs> uh so <laughs> it was uh it was yeah one of his friends had picked up a, a shotgun and he had he had cycled the chamber to see if there make sure it wasn't loaded which it wasn't with one in the chamber, but when you cycle it back closed, you know, there was one, the, the firearm was loaded, but so when he cycled it back in, he cycled around in and just, you know, to nobody understands why or how, but he pulled it up and pulled the trigger and, and shot my brother-in-law on the shoulder and the, the whole right hand side and, <sighs> and just a disaster of, of a thing. Um, he's, He's okay, but missing like a significant portion of his of his arm. And it was one of those. It was uh, it was somebody who wasn't you know trained 
and and doing the wrong thing, you know? Right. Wow. Are I, they still friends? Do what? Are they still friends? They are actually. I'm I know both of them very well. Um just, uh, uh, my wife in a neighboring town from where I grew up, so he knows everybody. I, I just have to ask real quick. So after an event like that, for the people that were there, the people connected to this accidental shooting, has anybody's attitude or mind been changed about guns or is, was it just seen as a fluke event and you just go about your life as best you can? Um, you know, it, 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 it did wreck their friendship for a while. There was some like non-communication. Sure. The, the parents are the biggest feud. You know, parents are mad at parents. And I think you know, there's a series of things like, you know, there's there's accountability all over the place. Right. Like somebody who, who wasn't trained being around them or, you know, the fact that one was left out or the fact that one was left. It was it was duck hunting season. So it was one of those things where, like, they do get left out, um, you know, on some occasions if you're not diligent about it. And it was just that. And, and so now, um, you know, my my father-in-law, you know, of course, was pretty racked with guilt over the whole thing. And, and it, 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 it hurt everybody. And there's no way for anyone to get out unscathed on on an emotional level. So, you know, everybody is really, really cautious now, um, very proactive in how in how firearms are managed. Um, but it but it didn't didn't change their attitude regarding having guns or having guns around. How, so how, how old was your brother-in-law and his friend when this happened? The kids or were they adults? Gosh, he was right out of high school or in high school. Mm. No, he was in high school um, when that happened. Uh, so they were young, but I mean, you know, I was I was actually hunting with my father-in-law and my brother-in-law just a few weeks ago. So um, you know, we're all still pretty avid outdoorsmen. Okay, but it, so that didn't change their attitude towards guns at all. They just wrote it off as an accident. No, no, I, 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 and and I think that goes around like since. The the person who the person who who pulled the trigger I I don't believe hunts or anything anymore I don't know I've never actually it's one of those things like I'm not going to sit down with him like so you shot my brother in law how do you feel <laughs> you know, like, right because he's and how how long ago was this yeah oh this is t- almost 20, 20, 20 some years ago yeah. um and in and it's it's hard too because everybody involved in the situation like they're all stand up people they're all great people and it's just a really terrible terrible incident that just happened around it like it's just and you can't really quantify it right like like oh you know people hear about it like oh that's stupid and then but you think about you know anybody could be involved in that situation if they don't know what they're doing at the time you know well no that's that's not true i mean that doesn't happen in australia because the shotguns are just, <laughs> just lying around right well okay right? so in a place where guns are everywhere that can happen like i should i yeah. should preface that with <laughs> Now, and I believe you also attended Colorado State University just after uh, Columbine, so you knew some of the people who were witnesses at the Columbine massacre? Yeah, that was, I mean, that was uh, my freshman year. So, and it was really unique, too, because all through high school, you know, I grew up with guns, like, on campus, on our high school campus. Like, everybody... During hunting season, it was like, you know, the one the one week of the year that there was no football practice or anything like that. And the school kind of shut down and right. and people that did go like everyone had rifles in their in their car and kid would store their ammo inside because other kids would steal their ammo out of their cars because nobody locked car doors then. Um, and then so in that year, Columbine happened. And then, of course, like all that stuff went away afterwards. 
my freshman year of college, I go to Colorado state and, you know, there's, there was a lot of Columbine students and you would be, there would just be certain occasions, you know, somebody would end up crying somewhere and like, Oh, what happened? Like, Oh, they're a Columbine student. And, and then I got to know a few that were, you know, in close proximity to the events that happened. And it was just, I mean, the, the stories, it, it, it defies explanation when you hear like a firsthand account like that, just, it's just beyond terrible. Let me ask real quick. Uh, so Columbine happens uh, because <clears throat> because because Lovingston, where I live, Nelson County, is like this. The first day or the first week that hunting season starts, I mean, in the school, it's just females. All the guys are gone. They've already tried to grow their pubescent <laughs> beards. They got their their uh, their hunting license and they're gone. So the the year after Columbine is the high school still roughly the same way when hunting season comes? I mean, are, are kids bringing their guns and they're in their cars and they still have their ammo? I mean, it, does life carry on normally after you know, something like that? It's so weird. I think, I think people tend to compartmentalize sure. those kind of things. Like, and it, it, firearms weren't allowed on campus, but I don't think anywhere after Columbine. Um, cause it, it wasn't the first mass shooting in the United States. I mean, and it wasn't the first school shooting in the United States, but it was kind of like, it seems like there's this new wave of violence that started up around that time. And it seems like the, the, the first one, you know, that was just on a scale that was beyond imagination, you know? Right. And, but it, I, I don't think it really internalized for things like hunting season or anything like that. Those things didn't change, I would say. And, and really, and it's like, uh, you said like mostly, mostly the, the ladies left behind at school. I think half the ladies were out hunting too. Like it's, ah, uh, okay. <laughs> it's, we, so, we have tough ladies up in the mountains, man. So it's um, a part of your culture. More yeah. Or yeah. It's, and, and most of the people that hunted, you know, in, in those areas, it really was like, it's food, you know, it's, it's not like right trophy. People, the grocery store barely stays stocked. You right. Know? Wow. So, Okay, so you've been so the bottom line here is you've been around guns, you've been around gun accidents and people that have uh, been involved in that. You've been around people that were involved in mass murder, uh, school shootings, um, and yet you have fourteen firearms yourself. But you, <laughs> do you consider yourself a gun nut? To me, that sounds like a gun nut. Right, it does, doesn't it? Fourteen it, it, firearms. I had a my my son's mom was talking to me the other day, and she made a reference to me as a firearms fanatic, and it was one of those like I don't even think about like I maybe shoot a couple times a year, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, like I sight in my rifle and then I hunt, and I hopefully hopefully I shoot once, you know, when I'm hunting, right. and and then bird hunting, you know, there's more shooting to be had with that. Um, but it's not like, I don't, I don't recreationally shoot a lot of people I know do. Um, but as far as like, I, I consider <laughs> when you can look at four, I'm sure 14 seems exorbitant to you. Like, and, and I, I get that, like, if, especially one, if you're not, I don't know, you better be looking at this seems like, exorbitant oh to me. <laughs> so you've got it. You said you've got an AR-15. I do. Can you, explain, yeah. can you explain that to me? Why, why would you have an AR-15? Do you use that for hunting? Um, I don't, but you can. It's a it's a good caliber for deer and small game. Um, it's it's not something that would would take down an elk. It's just not an efficient way to take down the animal, so I don't use it for that. Um, I got one because 
it really pragmatic reasons, right? Um, they're easy to do when you're talking about, um, you know, they do ammo is fairly compared to like hunting rounds. So if I go out and practice, like you learn things that make you act, go to hunts like trigger control, sighting in, um, hitting a target, those kind of things to where you can, you can practice kind of go through the motions to where you are efficient when you go out and do that. Hmm. So I, I, I just got one for one of those. It's, it's a flanking rifle. I, I, there's a lot of my friends that are kind of AR 15 fanatics. Um, I have shot mine, I think twice since I purchased it. So you have a lot of friends that are AR 15 fanatics. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've got a, a few that, you know, the <laughs> 20 to 30, just ARs. It's a little, uh, Holy special. shit. Oh, dude, they're not even on the high end. <laughs> there's, there's people like, there's, there, there's some, there's some fanaticism around that rifle. What does an AR-15 set you back if you go buy one at a Walmart? Well, it used to be around six hundred. Um, nowadays, you can, you can purchase them for three to four hundred, or assemble them for maybe a little less if you if you build it part by part. And they're kind of, they assemble like Legos, so you can just you can buy them piece by piece and put them together that way. Hmm. Okay. And do, sorry, and, and your 14 guns, do you have a handgun? Do you have concealed carry in Idaho? Um, so Idaho um, legalized conceal for everybody, <clears throat> including on college campuses. Um, so anybody can be carrying concealed at any time without any kind of license or training. It's really, wow. That one's uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. That one, that one's a head scratcher. Um, when, when when that one passed, it was one of those like, "Are you kidding?" But it passed. Was that and the do you voting? carry? I'm sorry. Was that just a straight up um, for the people to vote, or no? That it, it just it went through. It was one of those. Oh, it was one that. of those things. Okay, gotcha. So, yeah. do you do you personally tend to carry a firearm with you when you're out and about during the day? Um, you know, it's really funny. I I went through a stage when when I worked in the firearms industry. Um, I, I kind of got my head wrapped around like, so when I, when I hung out in the firearms industry, everybody carries all the time. Um, you know, I, I would be on business trips and the people I was with, my colleagues were carrying like as we traveled kind of stuff. Um, and which, you know, it's not really a surprise. Right. And all these half of them are former black ops military and stuff anyways. Um, so I, I ended up I ended up getting a concealed carry and I carry a little bit here and there and it's and it's mostly like I, I it's paranoia man and it's all the stuff that you guys talk about right like the stress of hearing of of shooter situations and it's like like we're going to the movies oh okay better uh better pack up <laughs> you know stuff like that like you, you do kind of worry about situations absolutely. And how do you store your guns at home? You said you've got two kids. How old are your kids? Yeah, so I've got two boys, uh, five and twelve. They're spaced out, and wow. um, so I, I keep everything locked up um, except for one that's like the house protector. You know, the, the the one that you know I makes you feel better at night that you probably wouldn't get to in time if anything ever did happen. Right? Is that the AR fifteen? You keep it under your pillow. <laughs> <God>, no. <laughs> In the shower, keeps it in the shower. No, no, that one's that one's collected dust in the safe, man. Um, no, there's I've I've got a I keep my there's separate there's separate doors, one for the the firearms themselves and one for the ammunition. Right, but the one that you keep not locked up, 
that's where do you keep that? That one's well, you know, it's in a super secret location. <laughs> you don't want to say. <laughs> I don't blame you. In case a local <laughs> Boise meth uh, addict uh, is listening to our show, it is a problem in Idaho. So okay, um, yeah. Sorry, right? I was just going to say. So ch- changing gears just a little bit. Um, when I I didn't really have any contact with guns until I was in the tenth grade. We moved to Virginia, and every all my family here was hunters. My father, my brother, everybody hunted. I did it for a little while, and then I just quit doing it. But I'm fairly comfortable around guns because of that. But when you got into the industry, when you got into the business, you said that you were in for a while. Um, I just because I don't know really that much about gun people, I kind of have a very generalized, probably inaccurate view of gun owners or people that are are that are very serious or passionate about gun owners. So I guess it's probably true that you can't paint them with a brush. But but if you could try to just try to describe the people that you come into contact, the people that maybe live near you or that you work with, what what is are they mostly Republicans? Are they conservative? Are they Christians? I'm just trying to get a sense of, of what these people are like that have guns in their daily lives. And I know that's an oversimplification. No, you know, well, I mean, people use generalizations because they can be generally accurate, right? Wow. I mean, like we all kind of – that's kind of like the trial part of the human brain is we mm-hmm. we kind of compartmentalize people into things. Um, you know, I think it's it's really funny because there's, there's stereotypes that fit in the firearms industry for sure because, I mean, they fit – there are stereotypes that, that fit in all kinds of areas. Right. Um, but yeah, there's, there's definitely stereotypes that fit and there's, and there's, uh, stereotypes that are, you know, um, kind of ill-informed for sure. Like what you're saying. Um, I would say, because it, it's, it's strange, you know, the, you're asking if, if the, the, if the fanatic kind of things in the industry are, you know, Republican, Democrat. And what I found, you know, there's in, in the outdoorsman kind of community, you know, hunting, fishing, that kind of thing you encounter, it's about half and half, right? Like, Republican, Democrat, like everybody in in this area goes outdoors and hunts and fishes. And um, and then you get into the actual industry side of things. And that's what you know, that's where it was. I It was a total paradigm shift from anything that I had encountered in my life. Mm-hmm. And and it was it was it was ex- very, very right leaning, um, very there, there's definitely like, a, you know, there's a there's a Christian undertone to most of the most of the people that I met. Most people are are religious or you know, and if they weren't, they just didn't talk about it. You know, it was very it was very like Bibles and guns. And the, the hard part is like the, the stereotype you get on, on in the, the that I had going into it. That was I was expecting, you know, the the gun thing crazy, you know, God, I needed to arm myself in America and, you know, right. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Just, just the stuff that just frightens you. Right. And and the it was it was really kind of an anticlimactic thing. I mean, the people that I met were were the most generous and the most humble and, and the kindest and accepting people that I encountered in, in it, especially in, in a kind of a, I want to say a corporate industry, but you can't really label the firearms industry as corporate because it is, I don't know, it's it's a weird thing to identify. There's a lot of money in it, but people kind of stay humble with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I it's funny with the juxtaposition of coming from the conservation realm, I, 
I, I just found myself in a really pretentious environment where it was kind of like, oh. I felt like I had to wear my cable knit sweater and, and grow an excessive beard and, and, you know, act a certain way. And then you get around the firearms crowd and we would meet up with people that were considered kind of a big deal in the firearms industry. And I, I went to a, a big, uh, like a machine gun shoot and here's these guys that are kind of, they're famous within the, that realm. Right. And they're inviting us over for a spaghetti dinner. Like, come over to my house. We'll cook you dinner. Uh, you know, down to earth. like just yeah, super down to earth. And that's what I mean. It's you, you. I had this picture in my head going into the industry of like, man, how many pounds of crazy am I about to step into? <laughs> and, and everybody that I met was just so nice. And then, but it, it's nice to a point. Then if you get to the topic of if anybody mentions any kind of gun control, you know, like you're, you're going to get a, you're going to get a verbal lashing on that one. <laughs> and and why do you think that is from somebody who's been inside the industry at that level? Um, what's, what's going on in their heads with their thoughts about guns? Help me understand it. Oh man. I, I mean, I, I made the joke. I'm going to lose friends over this one. Um, <laughs> no one listens to this show. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank God. All right. So, uh, yeah. Um, and I have, it's something that I tried to wrap my head around since even, even just being a firearms owner and outdoorsman and, and just as shootings happen, you know, you get kind of, you, you question everything. Sure. Um, it was, I, when I was working in the industry, I was I was in the industry when like Las Vegas happened and and just I mean, I personally felt sick to my stomach for days. Um, it was it was terrible. Um, but within within the industry, it's it is kind of how you picture it. You know, the industry kind of wraps up like, oh, they're coming for us now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a kind of a compartmentalized atmosphere to it. Um, it's. The, the and, and you're asking kind of why I guess why they're kind of holding their ground I, I think or or is that what or why people want to own firearms in the first place or why they don't want to negotiate or I don't know where 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 do you want to go with that <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a combination of all of those things. Like it's the mindset of why they are so emotionally connected to owning firearms. I mean, is it is it a sense of well, it's just my right, and therefore I'm going to do it, and you can't stop me? Is it more about protecting myself from uh, criminal activity, or is it hunting? I mean, I get the sense from the outside looking in that it's more about just this emotional thing. Um, I I deserve this. It's one of my fundamental human rights. And don't try and talk to me about it. But is, is is that what you think's going on, or is it something a little bit more nuanced or or complex? Uh, I think the quick answer to all of those questions is yes. <laughs> it's all of that. Right. It's all of that. Yeah. Um, you know the and I, and I had a lot of conversations. Um, you know my my personal stance was you know if if I have to take a lot of tests and get proper licensing to drive a car, which is capable of killing somebody 
I should probably have to take the same level of responsibility with something that's actually meant to kill things. So uh, I've always kind of had that stance with with the industry and, and within the industry. You know, I was sharply, sharply disagreed with um, on a lot of levels. And in the the I think the argument a lot of the times has been fed by organizations like the NRA. Um, and I and I don't paint them as evil. I just they're just a nonprofit group that does what nonprofit groups do. They just happen to be for firearms. Like, and, and I mean, that's an oversimplification too. They've done, they've, they've been kind of the spearhead of this resistance. And, you know, ever since the seventies, when or the late sixties, when they had their little coup, you know, they went from not being a, a, a marksmanship organization to being more of a gun rights and everybody should have a gun organization. Um, you know, they've, they've come off the rails a little bit and, 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 and they're really, you know, they're very inflexible. Um, but as far as like this, there's a kind of this innateness of they go to the constitutional argument of you have the right. And and I and I think it it's come under the the kind of psychological atmosphere of of becoming part of you. Right. Like it's 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 kind of viewed as an inalien. How am I doing that? Inalienable right of of ownership, you know, along the same lines as freedom. Like you could, you could juxtapose the words for any kind of thing with firearms, with freedom, like, you know, remove bump stocks. So you're going to remove my freedom. Like it, it's, it, it becomes kind of this, this internalization of, of what they are and what they represent. And, and they, and they've, it's, you know, once it becomes part of your identity, then you can't negotiate anymore. Like it's, you've got to fight that with everything you have because you're taking my identity. Um, and and it it is it's it's a really it, it's hard to try to have a conversation about it because there is some you know not even some there's a lot of inflexibility about it. Let me let me ask a, a quick follow up. I'm going to try a different version of Cam's question. So so after a yeah. sh- after a shooting, there's 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 talk and there's conversation about. Maybe, you know, obviously not banning guns because that's never going to happen in this country, but maybe, you know, tweak the system, make it a little harder or make it a little, whether it's mandatory training or whatever. So, so for some of those people, it sounds like what you're saying is that even some moderate approach could be construed as, as going too far because you're messing with my rights or it's the thin end, end of the wedge, wedge. If you, if I let you, if I go along with you, maybe, Outlaw on these, or, or trying to make uh, gun owners uh, make it a little more stringent, then it's the beginning of the end, and eventually they won't have guns. So it sounds like, even though we have these horrible shootings, some people just aren't willing to compromise because, like you said, they've made it a part of who they are, and they just know that if they give in once, they might have to keep giving in. And maybe that's why we're not ever getting anywhere with a with a real conversation. Yeah, I man, I've I've tried to wrap my head around this kind of stuff a lot, and and any kind of conversations that I've had, I've tried I've tried prying on these kind of things, and, <laughs> and there's there's a lot of kind of conclusions that you you can draw from from what's happened so far, right? And I think, but I'll just throw out kind of my unadulterated, you know, what what I think, which you know, <laughs> as you're probably most unqualified guest on the show, I'm just gonna throw my opinions out there, man. Um, so, uh, I, I, my personal take is the hard part with the firearms legislation that that has tended to happen, especially in the last few years, it's, it's coming from crowds that have no idea about firearms. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and can't associate with the crowd that they're trying to regulate, I guess. So like that you have, um, and, and one good example is the whole bump stock thing that they had. And, uh, this is where the the firearms community almost abandoned the NRA over it because the NRA at first said that they supported regulation of bump stocks. And I mean, just over that, the entire community almost abandoned those guys. Like they had to do crowd control afterwards. It was a big, ugly deal. Right. Um, you know, there was I was involved in, you know, the kind of the social media side of things on the firearms industry and just people freaked out. They lost their minds. And uh but the the part that they were really keyed in on it was just a, a really poorly written legislation. You know, they were they were saying that they wanted to regulate anything that could accelerate the fire of a firearm, which was viewed as a threat to the firearms community. Because I mean, you know, what are you going to do? Outlaw fingers? You know, the mm-hmm. the 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 way that they worded it was with you know an ignorance to the actual mechanics of a firearm. And and so it, it looked malicious. I think it wasn't, but it was perceived as malicious. And it, so what I see a lot, you know, there's there's a resistance from anybody on the GOP side of things from from the right wing of American government to do any kind of legislation because it would be career killers. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it, a Republican pushes through firearms legislation and your career is over. Um, so it it's coming from the left-hand side and it, and it's from, there's a lot of naive language being used. And it's, I think it's one of those things of, you know, like I can make fun of my family, but the second you make fun of my family, like you're an outsider, you can't do that. You know, it's the, I think there's a kind of a politics around that and, and it's hard. It's, I, I don't know. I'm kind of with Tam on this. Like, I don't know if they're ever going to do anything. Mm-hmm. Well, what would, what would you do? What would be your take on it? If, um, let's say, magic happens and American politicians do what Australian politicians did 22 years ago and just say, right, that's it, we're banning everything, um, unless you're a, a farmer and you, you can prove a cause for why you need firearms um, or, or you're a sports shooter and you can prove it, everything else is getting banned. And we're going we're gonna to have to get you to surrender all of your guns You've got 90 days, surrender your guns to the authorities. We'll pay you for them. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll give you the blue book price on them so you're not just losing money. But you have to surrender everything in 90 days. What would be your position? Well, I mean, you know, I follow the law. So it would be kind of a, all right. <laughs> it would, yeah, there we go. Um, you know, there's a part of me that would be bummed out just because of there's, there's definitely a, a cultural tie to it. You know, like dad hands son a gun, you know, you know, and you inherit things from your grandparents. There, there's kind of an emotional part to it. And it's, it's, is it pragmatic? No, but it does, it does exist. Um, but yeah, I'd be bummed. I'd follow the law though. Plus, you know, I, I do hunt with a, a recurve bow as well. So it probably wouldn't hurt me too much. You know, you know what, what I got, got from my father, what he handed down? Alcoholism. <laughs> That's what he handed down. What's oh, wrong see, with that? that too, but mix that with firearms and we got a party. <laughs> and Idaho's a very red state. I've just been looking it up. Uh, Idaho voted f- Idaho overwhelmingly voted for Donald Trump in the 2016 election. Um, 
2018, red across the board, Republican governor, Republican congressman, Republican secretary of state, just Republican, Republican everywhere, right? Idaho, it's funny because like there's there's an area with Democrats and that's where I live. That's Boise. And there's everywhere else. Um, And and it's like part of me loves my state because it, it really is a state that has, you know, screw off to everybody else and I'm going to do my thing. And, and they kind of, you know, they, there's really an attitude, definitely like, you know, we're up here, stay out, you know, that kind of an attitude, <laughs> but the politically and just some of the stuff that goes on there is just some batshit crazy stuff that just, <laughs> there's, it's, there, there's some very, very, uh, strong right wing views. Okay. So, um, Help me uh, understand this whole mindset, if you can. Like, you know, obviously, I guess this probably came out in our gun control series. From my perspective as an Australian, um, we look at America's attitude towards guns and we just literally, I think for most of us, just shake our heads. We we have no ability to to even begin to understand what the fuck you guys are thinking. It's very, very strange for us. You know, we, we had that one, we had a number of mass killings, as I said in the show, in Australia, but then we had that really particularly bad one happen in 1996. Our conservative Prime Minister, John Howard, um, who I despise for everything else that he did as Prime Minister, but this one thing he said, you know what, we're going to get rid of guns once and for all, and the entire country... When yeah yeah fair enough yeah it's fuck that was really bad man like seriously we should we should do that that makes a lot of sense we don't want that to happen again yeah like people died man like lots of people fuck yes let's let's do it there was a couple like I had a couple of friends that had guns and they were like no don't take my guns and everyone around them went we're taking your guns and they went yeah okay okay take it take your guns like it was it's and it's never real I mean there the NRA is now funding some um, fringe pro-gun parties in Australia trying to get the laws changed. Um, that's been a, it's been a growing thing in the last year or two in particular. And we're aware of it. And um, But for the last 20-odd years, it's never been an issue. Like there's not a single politician outside of the extreme crazy fringe that has ever gone, you know what we should do? We should bring back guns. Everyone in this country would be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Fuck off. Go away. Like to us, we, it's it's not even an issue. It'd be like let's say let's bring back slavery. We're like what, what, what the fuck is? What are you smoking? Take get take that off him. No more of that for you. You can't handle your shit. Um, so it's really weird. But look, I but at the same time, yeah, I know, I, I don't want to paint everyone else, uh, everyone in the America as being crazy. Even the gun owners, the gun nuts. I I know that they must have reasons, but try as I might, I can't really understand them. So, can you try and explain it to me? T- tell me what is going on in the minds of people when they are so emotionally attached to the idea of gun ownership. Yeah, that one's hard. I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I hope you haven't, because um, I know I know how you feel about about firearms. I, I, you know, don't don't patty cake me too if you disagree with me. <laughs> yeah, he won't. <laughs> so, 
um, yeah, uh, it's, I don't know, maybe just cognitive dissonance. Um, you know, and there's, and there's so much information, you know, like you guys are pretty astute in following, you know, American politics and, and kind of the, the level of kind of confirmation bias that comes out of different, you know, information outlets. Like if you're getting your news from the NRA, like <laughs> you might be in trouble as far as skewed facts. Um, and it just kind of, if it feeds into your mentality, you just kind of bolster down. Like everyone just kind of doubles down on things. And even, even when you're showing facts, you know, it's kind of like, you know, fingers in the ear and la, 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 I can't hear you. you know, there's, uh, it's, it's hard. And, and, and then when you're having a conversation, like, you know, if you talk to somebody about regulation, like there's pe- people get set off. I mean, it's, it, it's a really fast kind of trigger, um, which I always laugh at, you know, you always see, you know, it's a, the, the kind of the Republican side of our country makes fun of the Democrat side and calls them all snowflakes and talks about them getting triggered. But it's kind of like, you know, they both get triggered equally fast. Like everyone starts yelling. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, that's that's my current comeback. When, whenever I somebody writes me a hate email or something on Facebook, when I criticise, you know, George Bush or Christianity or the Republicans or gun control, and they're like, "How fucking dare you spell I'm like, "Oh, did I trigger you, Snowflake?" Oh, I'm so sorry. Somebody actually, somebody actually complained to iTunes and tried to have no Facebook tried to get us banned from Facebook couple of weeks ago because I, I said, oh, you poor snowflake to him in Facebook when he was – I mentioned Australia's gun laws. That's what it was. I talked about the fact that, you know, um, one, of the, one of the responses I get from Americans, um, classic, is you say, well, if you take away guns from the good people, only the bad guys will have them. And we've had two or three cases in Australia recently where alleged terrorists tried to buy guns for a terrorist attack and they got caught – by the feds in the process of trying to buy guns. Um, so he said, well, no, that's what happens when you take guns out of society. Even the bad guys struggle to get guns. That doesn't mean there aren't bad guys here that have guns. We have shootings from time to time. Uh, not mass shootings usually, just, you know, you know, mob-style executions that happen from time to time over drug deals or, or bikey wars or whatever it is. But when when guys try to buy like when when crazy guys try to buy guns so they can uh, 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 have a, some sort of a terrorist attack, they get caught and they don't get the guns and they don't get to do the mass shootings. And I so anyway, I posted a thing about that on Facebook. I'm not talking about America. I'm talking about this is what happens in Australia when you try and buy guns, and these people are like, "How dare you fucking criticize my country!" And I was like, oh, you poor snowflake. And then they got really upset that I called them a snowflake. Oh, did I trigger you? Dear, poor you. Anyway, sorry, hey, please. So hard. Like, you, can't, you can't get mad and claim to be a victim if you want to be engaged in the conversation. Like, you can't, you can't yell over other people and demand to be heard if you're going to claim to be so offended by, you know, a counter argument like that, right? That's what I, I kind of had the same kind of reaction to, to – if there was a conversation about firearms regulation and somebody got, you know, from either side of the aisle got mad and it's like, well, you know, if you want to be a person and, and be engaged in this conversation, you can't act like that. I mean, 
you know, that's been my experience in talking to Americans about this is like we get emails from people from time to time, listeners that say, hey, listen, um, you know, I'm a big fan of the shows um, and I'm a gun owner and I, I don't think I'm a gun nut, but, you know, I've got my reasons. Um, and I'm always like, yeah, right on, man. Um, let's have a conversation about it. Um, I'm interested to understand, uh, like I am with you, what your thoughts are on it. But the amount of Americans that I can actually have uh, a, a rational conversation about it. I mean, okay, there's the, the people who are um, anti-gun Americans that, uh, you know, I have conversations with all the time that completely support the idea of regulation and they understand the the logic and the reasons behind it. They don't think it's ever going to happen and I tend to agree with them. But, um, and that's the main, like, it's the main reason I don't want to live in the United States. I think uh, this is symptomatic of the insanity in American culture, despite, you know, people today say that I, I hate America, which is nonsense. Um, but there are certain things about American society that deeply concern me. And one of them, is, I mean, there's the inherent systemic racism there's the insanity regarding guns and violence. There's the insanity around unregulated capitalism. Um, that that may, I just don't want to live in a society that's going off the rails like that, despite all of the, the positive things about America and Americans and the people who I find are generally nice. I think as a society, it's it's got some systemic problems that don't look like they have any solutions anyway let's get back no, to you I, and I, so I think that's a pragmatic viewpoint too you know like there's there is like inherent racism all around the state or the, the states and and the the firearms conversations like you know like you're the the inability to do anything or have any kind of dialogue has been just kind of dumbfounding in in the whole thing like the inflexibility of the whole the atmosphere around firearms has been just kind of numbing, right? I mean, you watch something happen, you send your your kids off to school, and you 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 have thoughts of like, man, what if something happens? Like, who the fuck thinks that, right? Like, why why should you have to go through that process? You know, and the the fact that nothing's been done, it's just it is crazy, and it and it does come down to you know the they get these arguments of of you know. Well, it's a constitutional right. And, and, and you've made the point before, like nobody quotes, you know, English kings and, you know, nobody does that in other countries. And, and the deification of our founding fathers is a little strange, um, but it, it's, it's, it's also an element of pride in the states. Like people take great pride in, in the founding fathers and the Constitution. And it's, it's kind of an identifier to where, again— if you criticize it, if you if you move against any of that, then you're kind of taking away who that person is, right? And that's and that's where you get this this defense that's just it's a it's a visceral thing, right? And and firearms fit into that category for sure. And and it's just it's even like yeah. Democrats and like my friend J. David Markham, I did the Napoleon show with, criticizing me this week for criticizing George Bush. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you know, that was awesome, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) like he's like, well, listen, I didn't agree with all of his policies, but he was an honorable man. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? He was one of the worst mass murders in the like post World War Two. And you're telling me he is fucking wrong with your country. Well, no, like he's not even in the ground yet. 
don't care. I don't care where he. What the fuck has that got to do anyway? Uh, I always joked about that. Like being dead doesn't make somebody not a dick. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so listen, so we can wrap up. Um, you got any? Yeah. What you got? Got any good crazy stories? Um, you can. Seeing as you haven't been able to help me understand it, or you haven't been able to explain it in any way that helps me get my head around it, can you at least make me laugh? You can. Got a got a no crazy story for me, Mac? Oh, uh, I did. I did attend. An, I've got a couple. I did attend an event um, that. There, there was probably, I don't know, probably about a thousand machine guns um, going off at the, probably about, a, I don't know, anywhere from 50 to 100 at the same time of anything fully automatic, semi-automatic, 50 caliber to 90 millimeter all at the same time. Um, that was That was probably the most impressive, crazy... But at the same time, like it was, it was kind of a, it was a controlled atmosphere and everyone was pretty mellow. Um, and, and they were all kind of, they were industry insiders. So there wasn't really any yahoos, you know, out there doing stupid things. Um, the, here's, you're talking about racism and firearms. And I, I even, so the, I went to the NRA show. It was anticlimactic for me as far as like, I mean, I expected it to be crazy, right? This is after Las Vegas, all that kind of stuff. And you get inside and, and I've been to other trade shows where, you know, people are bustling and they're bumping into each other and people are rude. And you go to Texas at this NRA show and people are getting out of each other's way and getting doors for each other. And there was one set of protesters outside and I watched people like take them water. Um, you know, it was not the kind of chaos and, you know, hillbilly insanity that I expected. But the NRA had these posters um, where it was uh, – there was like four tiered posters, right? And they have their two figureheads, and then they have their their lady spokesman, and they've they've recently started televising. Um, they, they have like uh, it's a, a black guy that that speaks for them. His name's Colin Noir. He's really eloquent, good speaker, and and uh, you know, so they're kind of the figureheads of the movement. And so they have there's four posters hanging, and there's you know, N is the the head of the NRA and then the R is the second, you know, in line. And then the A is the, the lady spokesman. And then there's like no letters. And then the black guy at the end, <laughs> it's like, Oh, did somebody actually work in marketing here? Like that's the worst thing I've ever seen. Like you've got, you know, the guy kind of gets labeled as, you know, like, Oh, you know, the NRA is trying to make a, a appeal across the board and, you know, has has this guy as a spokesman, but the, the advertising for it was the worst thing I've ever seen. Like that is not what you want to portray, guys. Wow. wow. Yeah, it was bad. It was one of those like I pulled I pulled aside a marketing person and pointed at it. Like just I want you to look at these posters for a second and look at this and just just digest the scene. You're gonna see it. It's just looked up and saw it. It was one of those oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> um there was stuff like that, but the industry was was pretty anticlimactic. Um, I think I don't know. I, I think in somewhere like the United States, when when you have you know we've become kind of the military power of the world, right? This, this world police, you know, in every country, all up in everybody's business. Just the the size of the military is so 
huge. And so then, you know, with that comes, you know, veterans and ex-military and, and like the, the staple of the country in that realm is firearms. And you, you build up something that strong and related around firearms. Like how do you not have a firearm culture? Like that's, in, or, or the, the mass stupidity that's going on with mass shootings and, you know, not wanting to do anything about firearms or anything like that. Like it's, it's one of those things like we've created this kind of culture about firearms, but at the same time we want to regulate it. It's, I don't know. It's like you said, Sam, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around. It's hard. There's nothing justifiable in it. Like there's no, I can't give you a good reason not to regulate firearms or anything like that because there isn't one. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Fascinating. All right, Mac. Well, uh, listen, seriously, thank you for coming on and, um, chatting with us it's really great to for me to speak to have the opportunity to speak to an american um gun owner and and gun advocate that um you know i can have an intelligent rational conversation with um and uh yeah good good on you for for coming forwards appreciate it i i'd super i'd you know properly extend my appreciation for having me on the show i I hope i provided something of value i mean i you know (laughs) you guys may get to this later and be like let's do a new episode (laughs) got got some insights thank you yeah i I hope i provided some value um super cool talking to you guys i've been listening for a long time so well we apologize for that but thank thank you for coming on anyway yeah no you guys have ruined several road trips with my family my my i have my my kids will be listening to the podcast. What? <laughs> no, no, don't do that. Me, my son lives with me, so he's pretty much heard you know anything that you guys say oh on a regular God. basis. They live with permanent earmuffs, and so, but there's like some of the jokes. <laughs> Luckily, the younger son's usually asleep when I play it, but my older son will be giggling in the back seat. Oh my God! Wow. That's that's childhood. Australian guys. <laughs> Upward a lot. <laughs> yes, he does, son. You guys are yes, he does. for the therapy. Yeah, <laughs> send it to Cam. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. That's a show, people. Oh, hey. Um. By the way, uh, well, I just had a thought. You know, I'm doing this uh, thing with uh, my kids, Gen Z, on uh, where I've been talking to them, and and um, one of the ones I'm going to do uh, coming up with uh, Taylor, one of my 18 year olds, is about his view on guns. I think the next we're going to do one. We just did one the other day on gaming, um, and then we're going to do the next one's going to be on either climate change or marijuana. The view on drugs, but then I think the next one will be on on guns. I think it'd be interesting because guns have been banned since before he was born in this country. Um, you know, ninety six they were banned. He was born in two thousand, so I think it'd be interesting to get the, his generation's perspective on guns in this country and, and what he sees happening in the United States from afar. So you might um, enjoy hearing that perspective as well. Yeah, that'd be interesting. All right. Thanks, Mac. Thanks, Ray.